Well, hey guys, uh, happy Easter. How you guys doing? Oh my gosh, I love Easter. This has already been such a good day. I've had so much fun today. Okay, so I gotta say, I have a pretty controversial uh, Easter candy. Uh, mine's the Peeps. How many of you said Peeps? Everyone hates Peeps. Why, what do you guys have against Peeps? They're just awesome. They're like little marshmallow goodness with the crunchy sugar. How can you go wrong? I mean, I mean, if you like a s'mores, you gotta like Peeps, right? It's the same. No? Okay. Anyways, I think peeps are the best. Maybe it's just the nostalgia. I don't know, but I love them. I think they're the best. Um, so if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Natalie. Hello. And yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I work here, and I get the honor of being the location pastor here at this campus. And so I am so excited to just speak to you guys on Easter Day. It's like one of my favorite days of the year, and it's like the whole reason why we're here, right? Easter is the whole reason that we're here, and so it's the very first time I've actually gotten to speak on an Easter, and so I'm just so pumped. I'm so, so pumped, and I'm going to be just talking to a couple of different groups in the room today because I realize on Easter, we always have some new faces, and some of you, this is like maybe the only time of year you come, or maybe you kind of got dragged here, I'm not sure, um, and some of you have been coming here forever, or you, you've been a Christian your whole life, and so for those of you who call yourselves Christians already, I, I want to encourage you today as well. I hope you're encouraged that the God that we serve, he's real. He's real, and that Jesus he is worthy of every single trial and struggle and moment of being misunderstood. And I, and I can guarantee you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've been misunderstood, especially in the last, you know, five years or so. So many things have happened in our world. It's easy to be misunderstood. And so I just want to remind you of his goodness today and that the depths of his love are just never too shallow to swallow up our failures, our missteps, our pain, and our doubts. It's truly unending. And so I just hope that today I can encourage you that I just pray that you feel the love of God today. If you've been a Christian your whole life, sometimes we need that too. Even though we've known about Jesus for a long time, we need that love for ourselves too. So I hope today that you're encouraged. But I also want to speak to those of you who maybe this is your first time or you're just kind of like dipping a toe in this little Christianity thing. Or like I said, maybe you kind of got dragged here by someone in your family. You made a promise that you would come with them for Easter or whatever reason. And I just want to say that I'm just really glad you're here. One, we're so glad you're here. You don't have to be a Christian to come here. You belong here before you believe. And um, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. But um, today I'm really going to try to give you some reasons why you might want to give Jesus a chance. And, you know, I don't believe in consequences. <laughs> I do believe in consequences. I don't believe in coincidences. And so I just believe that you're here today because God has a message for you that he wants to speak to you and encourage you with today, too. And I know there's a million and one reasons for you not to believe in Jesus. There's a million and one because, you know, there's doubts about the reality of Jesus. So many people are like, could that really even be real? How can someone be resurrected from the dead? We don't know of anything like that happening recently in our recent times. And so how could that even be possibly real, right? You know, you might even be questioning, like, okay, well, if Jesus is real, then why are bad things happening to good people? And you'd be like, you may be like, 
why would I want to follow a God who lets bad things happen on this earth? Or maybe you're, you've had bad experiences with Christians before, or you've had a negative church experience. And so there's always reasons why not to believe in Jesus. And I wish that, honestly, that when I became a Christian, um, everything magically changed, and I never did anything wrong, and everything was perfect and easy all the time. But that's just not reality. I'm a human. You're a human. We live on a, on a planet that has all kinds of things going wrong with it all the time. Um, but the thing that I do have is the ability to reach out to the God of this universe, the God of this earth, who absolutely loves and adores me and, and you, everyone in this room, no person excluded. And he wants to help us through those trials. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't throw us out to the wolves and be like, hey, go figure it out. Hope, hopefully things are good. Glad you believe in me. See you later. Maybe one day when you die, if you do everything right, okay? That's not who he is. He's a God who just loves you regardless. And so thank God that the Christian faith is not founded in the behavior of us Christians. It isn't. It's not founded on answered prayer. It's not founded on the historical accuracy of the Bible, even though it, the story of Jesus has been confirmed at that time. Hundreds of people witnessed the entire story happen, and it's been recorded, obviously, in the four Gospels, but not just by Christians by historians of that day as well, people who were not believers. And so we know for a fact that it is historically correct, but that's not the only reason, right? That is not what the Christian faith is based on. The Christian faith is based on today, on Easter. It's based on the resurrection itself and the fact that as crazy as we all are from time to time, as wild as we are and all the mistakes that we make, Jesus decided with his father that he was going to give his life so that you and I could have a second chance, so that we could be raised again spiritually to new life, that we can leave our old lives behind us, we can put behind us some of the pain, some of the things that we've caused to others, and we can move forward with a new life and a new purpose and a new mission. And that is for every single one of us, no one excluded, no one too far away. That is the beauty and the miracle of the cross is that Jesus, with his own life, paid the price so that we could be reconciled to God, so that you and I could be free. And that is what this whole thing is based around. Um, and I love that because you and I, no matter what we do, we cannot alter or ruin the miracle of Easter, no matter how much we get it wrong and no matter how much we get it right. We don't change it because we're not the ones who raised Jesus to life and we can't rebury him. It never changes. It's going to live on for eternity. And I hope that encourages some of you in this room because some of us are worried that we're going to mess up the gospel. Well, you can't. You can't mess it up because it's not dependent on you. And so I hope that that takes the weight off your shoulders. And you're like, I don't know. I say all the things wrong. I do all the things wrong. I make mistakes. I probably am one of those people that are the reason that other people don't believe in Jesus, right? But it doesn't matter. You cannot ruin the miracle of the gospel because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. It's going to live on for generations from now just like it has for thousands of years. 
And so no matter what we do, Jesus will live on. His name will live on. And even if we've given him a bad name, it doesn't matter what time of you know, history it's been, people look back on the life of Jesus, and there's only good things to say. You can say a million bad things about Christians, but ask anyone. And there's people all over the world who know the name of Jesus all throughout the generations for thousands of years, and they always have good things to say about him. Always have good things to say about Jesus. And even people who are anti-Christian, they know about him, but they can't say anything bad about him because he was so good. He was the person who decided that his life purpose was literally to sacrifice himself for the good of others. And so no one in history has ever, well, I'm sure maybe someone out there has said that Jesus was a bad guy, but every single person I've talked to, even if they don't believe in Jesus as, as their savior, they believe in him to be a good man. But he was so much more than that. He was so much more than just a good man. He's supernatural, son of God, who has the power to save, to set us free, to change our life, give us passion and purpose. And so what other world leader can you say that about in history? I don't know of any world leader or any God that other, any other religion serves that actually sacrificed themselves for their people, for their followers. Most gods are like, hey, just bow down and worship me, do what I want, and then maybe I'll give you some trinkets here and there, right? If you're lucky, if you're good, if you pay penance, if you do this, if you do that, maybe you'll get, you know, a little something here and there. Maybe I'll give you some rain. But our God is not like that. He said, I love you so much that I'm actually going to send my son to pay that price for you. I want him to give his life for you, and Jesus willingly laid down his life and said, I will give everything so that you can have a relationship with God. And so no other world leader or God in history has ever been that way. And so even the world leaders of his time, so Nero was an emperor of Rome, and that was a huge deal. Rome was a huge deal in history. But you know what he's really known for? He's known for what he did to Christians, not really because of him being an emperor. Most people just know Nero, oh, yeah, he's the guy that killed all those Christians. But you probably couldn't name off, like, anything else that he did. And if you, if you do, I mean, good job for you. I don't know anything else that he did. Um, another one is Caesar Augustus. He was Rome's very first emperor, and he made Rome actually into the empire that it was. And he reigned for 40 whole years. Can you imagine a president reigning for 40 years? Like, that would go down in the history books, right? Like, you would remember a president who lasted for 40 years. But right now, really, all people outside of the history books, he does get mentioned every Christmas in languages all over the world. But really, he's a footnote in the story of Jesus. Jesus, this man who was just this guy, he's a fisherman, born into this very unwealthy family. He didn't rule anything. He was a carpenter by trade. And he actually only got to like preach the gospel for three years. And then he was crucified as a criminal. And so this guy, this ordinary human who lived this somewhat ordinary life until the end of his life, has way more fame and has changed the world in ways that no one else in history could have. They are footnotes in his story, which I think is incredible. But even just for 300 years plus after Jesus' death, 
before even the whole, for like, full version of the New Testament was even written, people had been putting their faith in Jesus. They didn't have the New Testament to go through and read and, and study like we do now, but they believed in him because they heard of what had happened because there were people who shared the gospel with them. And so that church w- is the movement of Jesus. And the movement of Jesus has survived thousands of years. We survived Rome. We survived persecution. We, survi- we survived, like, every kind of difficulty that you can possibly survive. We even survived some, like, actually really bad representatives of Jesus, like, making terrible name for him. And somehow Christianity still survived that. Somehow they didn't kill us all and, like, end it right there. It even survived bad representation. So, like I said, you can't ruin the gospel. If, if they couldn't ruin the gospel, like, you know, hundreds of years ago, then we can't ruin it today either. And so today we're, we're going to talk about a little bit of why I believe that the movement of Jesus survived. Why the movement of the gospel survived. And I hope that it inspires all of us to put more of our faith in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, to put it in him for the first time, or if you've already been doing that, to put all of your whole self, all of your faith in Jesus. So sociologists have been really kind of studying uh, different patterns and behaviors of movements that have been documented, like how historically several of them have really a few things in common. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of those things. They often usually, uh, movements usually begin during times of unrest and when there's a lot of inequality or pain or discrimination happening in the world. And usually, um, number two, they're usually met with a charismatic leader who comes on the scene who has either a new message or a seemingly new message uh, that appeals to something that's going on in the culture. Like those are the two big catalysts for the beginning of a new movement. And so a couple examples that I have for you is we have the prophet Muhammad, who he began his um, work in the late 6th century, early 7th, early something like, I don't know. It was a long time ago. But uh, he's really known for unifying the Arab, the Arab tribes. And at that time, that was a really big deal because they were, they were often very much singular tribes. And, of course, back then um, it was a very much um, – they were warring nations, and it was very common for people to just, one group to just come into another area, raid their land, take their stuff, and in one day, your whole life could be changed, and you would lose everything. They didn't have bank bailouts back then. You just, you lost what you lost, and that was it, and um, so there were some larger players in the game who were really taking advantage of those smaller tribes, and so the Prophet Muhammad came and kind of became a unifier for those tribes. And it was a really wild time to be alive. And so because of their shared struggles and the need for some powerful alliances to be formed for protection, right, um, and they, they decided that they would listen to this guy, Muhammad, and he kind of unified them into um, serving one God, which was really unique for that time. They all had different religions and God, and he kind of unified them under one God. And then he actually addressed security issues that they faced by getting them to form a unified army. So he was he was a political leader and a social safety leader as much as he was a religious leader as well. And I think actually, I think that the Jews were expecting Jesus to do something like that. Uh, and so they were a little disappointed actually when they got to meet Jesus because he wasn't like that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, but another one is, um, you guys all know about, obviously, Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, he d- he obviously, he started uh, the civil rights movement. Well, he didn't start it. He got it moving forward. 
and he was a huge catalyst then. He was obviously so persecuted in his time, and he was just so tired of the violence that was happening against black people. And so he, obviously, he unified people. He unified people from every corner of the United States to rally around this idea that there should be freedom and equality for everyone. And so another thing that these movements have in, in common is that when they die, their followers pick up the burden of leadership and they kind of keep the burden alive. And so obviously both of them, we know they're still going on today. We know that people are still fighting for equality. People are still fighting for rights of black people and all other kinds of minorities in our country. But also we obviously know that Muhammad is still um, praised as a prophet. And so their movements kept going on and people have shared their values over time and they've continued to um, teach their lessons over time. And um, one would assume that this is actually the same case with Jesus. Uh, but after that, you know, that after he taught, he died, that his disciples had taken on his things and spread them around the nation. But actually that was not true, at least at first. Um, so hang with me and I'm gonna explain that because you're like, well, yes he did, because we have, the, we have you know, the New Testament. Okay, so hang with me and I'm gonna explain to you why Jesus is completely different. He wasn't just a movement starter, he was something else. He was a lot more than that. And so close investigation is gonna show us some different things. So we can't view the rise of Christianity like any other world movement. And the main reason for that is because of Jesus' message. Okay, so it wasn't really, there's a couple things about Jesus' message that actually made it different from other movements. One, it was not new or unique. He actually, all of his things that he taught, the lessons and everything like that, they were already there in scripture. They already, they were in the Old Testament. And so he was teaching the same kind of lessons. It wasn't new. Um, he was preaching things also that were incredibly impractical. And I think this is one of the reasons that the, the Pharisees hated him and why a lot of people actually hated him because he's like, you've heard, um, you know, eye for an eye, but I tell you to pray for your enemies, right? Who loves, who likes to pray for their enemies? So he's like obviously teaching very unpopular ideas. He's, he's telling them to go ahead and pay their taxes, and which at that time was like, really you want us to pay Caesar and you want us to pay the church because they were paying, you know, their, um, they already had to pay their uh, taxes to their, their own uh, religion because it was a, it was a um, religious state, but also they had to pay taxes now to Caesar. And so Jesus actually told them to pay taxes to both. And so they were kind of getting hit from both sides. So he was very not popular with, with that. Uh, there was also different guidelines for marriage that I'm sure people were like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. I want to date who I want to date. I want to go do what I want to do as far as those things go. Um, at his message was not appealing to most people. Um, he told everyone, well, he actually told a very rich person to sell everything that he has and give it away to the poor. And that's the only way that he could follow him. Okay. I mean, he also told people that, um, you know, you should go ahead and get rid of anything that competes with your devotion to Christ. He said, speak up for the, un the underserved. He, he wanted us to speak up for the voiceless. And if we're honest, that is, it's like a nice thing to say, right? Yeah, I give all my things away and I do things for people who are underprivileged. Yeah, I like to speak up for, the, for those who can't speak up for themselves. But doing those things is a lot harder than actually said. And not only that, this world is constantly telling us that that is not what we should be living for. This world is constantly telling us 
uh, no, you need to be saving that money for yourself. You need to get the nice car. You need to get the nice house. That's what you need to be living for. They're not telling you to go and sit with the poor. They're telling you that, no, you got to climb that ladder. You want to get to the top. doesn't matter how you get to that top. Step on whoever you need to step on to get there. That's what this world is telling us to do. So the things that he was saying, they do not promote the same things that our world promotes, which are, you know, being elite, having all the things, having all the material possessions, having rules that, you know, favor us. Not, not favor people that are not like us. We all want rules that favor us. We want to be the ones that have the good, the good story, right? So he was actually like, no, I want you to do the exact opposite. And another reason is he actually supported the government. And so you don't actually hear him overthrowing Jewish law. He actually affirms it from God. And he actually, he doesn't only just affirm it, but then he actually raises the standard because he's like, actually, I want you to live by complete love and self-sacrifice for one another, which is even more difficult than what already was in place. And so there was no, like, revolutionary, like, let's overthrow everything kind of language or anything like that. Um, and actually, like I said, people wanted him to be more like Muhammad was because Muhammad was creating social change and, you know, providing perfect protection for them. And, you know, when the, the Jewish people at that time thought that Jesus was going to be somebody who actually did those things. They wanted to be set free from Caesar. They wanted to be able to go live their own life and not have to worry about um, the worries of the life in Roman rule. They thought that Jesus was going to be able to do that for them. And Jesus was like, oh, no, I'm not going to look anything like you think that I look like. I'm setting you free in ways that Caesar and this world and this government can never chain you back up in which is way more important, although he does care about our physical needs as well. But he was not trying to rally a coup. He wasn't trying to do anything like that. And so every time the Pharisees, they really wanted him to because they're like, if you try to do this, it actually works out really well for us because then we can throw you into prison because everything you're saying is, like, way too hard for us to do. You're kind of putting us out of business. You know, I need you to stop saying what you're saying. And so they would have rather him try to start a coup. But every time they would bring him of trying to upend Jewish law, they, they just their claims couldn't really hold any water. And that's why when they brought him before Pilate, Pilate was like, I don't have anything to accuse this man of. He's not a military leader. He's not trying to overthrow the government. He's not doing anything wrong. And so Jesus was just not that kind of movement starter. We couldn't, we couldn't pin that on him. And the second thing is that Jesus' message was centered on one thing that nobody else's messages were centered on. And that was, honestly, himself. Literally, this entire gospel is centered around himself. <laughs> Which, actually, in, in a lot of ways, that's like, really? It's like all about you? All about you? You might get a couple of red flags if somebody said some of the things that he said today. And so that, this was the primary problem because imagine being on the other end of someone being like, yeah, I'm the son of God. I can, I can forgive all of your sins. I can set you free. Just go ahead and sell everything and follow me. Just do whatever I say. Just follow me. Come wherever I come. Can you imagine? We call those cult leaders today, right? We get red flags when someone says those kind of things. And I'm sure some people did back then too. They thought he was crazy. What he was saying was not normal in any sense of the word. Everything was based around 
him, him as a person. He never really asked his followers to trust his ideas. He pointed them back to the scriptures that were already there. But he asked them to follow him. And then, you know, he doesn't ask them just to follow his values, their, the scriptural values. He instructs them, to fo- instructs them to follow him and to trust him. And that's in the Gospels at least 20 times where he says, follow me. And so you guys have probably heard it. Take up your cross and follow me. My sheep my, know my voice and they follow me. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of eternal life. And so it wasn't his ideas that got him into trouble. It was who he claimed to be. And so if you guys look in Matthew 16, 13 to 17, here's, where, here's what he said. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? And they replied, something that he's John the Baptizer, and some say that he's Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then he pressed them, and how about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I think he's testing them right there. He's like, have you been listening to anything I'm saying? Because I've been telling you every day. (laughs) The son of God, right? And Jesus came back and he said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jodah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself let you in on the secret of who I really am, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. And I love that part right there. I'm going to tell you who you really are. Because whenever you start to get to know Jesus, when you start following him, he doesn't just show you who he is. He shows you who you are, who you were created to be. He shows you things that you couldn't learn just doing random things on this earth. He's got purpose for you, passion for you, mission for you. So when you get to know him, you know who you are. And I love that he, are, he like started out asking who they think he is. They started, he, he was kind of like testing them to see like, have you actually been paying attention to what I'm saying? Because yes, I'm affirming the scriptures, but also I'm literally telling you that I'm the son of God. Do you get what I'm saying? I need you to know. I need to know that when I leave this place, you guys are going to understand that I'm the son of God. And, and that is a crazy, crazy thing to tell people to believe. But this was his message. And again, he said this to Lazarus's sister. So Lazarus was his good friend that died, and his sisters had, you know, sent for Jesus and asked him to come and heal him because he had obviously, Jesus had been, performing many miracles and healings. And so Jesus, like, taking his sweet old time, and he shows up a couple days late, and when he finally gets to Lazarus's house, the sisters are like, dude, where, where have you been? He's dead now. Like, it, you, he totally could have saved him. And Jesus is like, oh, sorry. Jesus is like, no, I'm not. I, I am on my own timeline. You guys need to just seriously... Um, Just get in line. You guys need to get with the program and realize that I am the resurrection and the life. So, you guys, my my whole computer just decided to fritz out. So, give me one second here. I'm prepared for this moment. It's all good.
technology betrays me every time. Technology betrays me, and so I come prepared with paper copies. <laughs> and the balloon animal guy's calling me right now. So I think it's his fault that this happened. <laughs> it's my magnetism. How many of you guys know? I always tell Taka that I have something called magnetism and that uh, everything breaks, like, technologically when I touch it and things just go crazy and he's like Natalie that's not scientific things don't work that way but he gets so mad so now every time you guys see him make sure you tell him Natalie has magnetism because you know we saw it on when she was preaching and the whole computer just like stopped she had to get out her nose <laughs> so anyway anyways yes so anyway so Jesus tells I'm going back to it now Jesus tells Lazarus's sisters don't you guys get it I took three days. I'm on my own schedule. I'm the son of God. I got plans. Why are you trying to tell me what I should be doing, right? But honestly, he's still really sad. He's really sad because he loved Lazarus, and it made him sad that, he, that Lazarus had to do this. But he also said that this had to happen this way because I had to do something for people to be able to believe and God will be glorified through this. And so he tells his sisters, don't you know that I am the resurrection and the life and that anyone who believes in me will live? And so Lazarus, he must have believed in him because he raised him from the dead that day. And so who does Jesus say will live? He says anyone who attends church, you know. He says anyone who's nice or follows my values, no, we already know that he, that wasn't what he said. He said, anyone who believes in me, anyone who believes that I am who I say I am will live. And that's why all of this is so important because never once did Jesus or his followers indicate that the whole point of all of this was to leave us with a book that we could carry around for generations and generations and read to one another forever and always. That's not what he staked his life on. And even though sometimes us Christians, sometimes we do that, right? We get so, we love our Bible. And don't get me wrong, I, I, wrote, I love scripture. I, I read it all the time and it does help guide me. But it's not just scripture that changes my life. It's relationship with Jesus, communing with him, talking with Jesus, knowing him that has changed my life. And so... Jesus just keeps talking about himself, and he keeps telling us that he is the gift. He is the son of God. He is the whole reason, and that this is why when Jesus died, his followers actually kind of lost all hope because they actually did stake everything on him. And so when Jesus died, they were like, okay, well, there goes our movement. There goes everything. Because he's actually gone now. And we put everything in that person. Not in these teachings, because they could get those teachings from, from any rabbi. But what they didn't have from any other rabbi was someone who said that they were the Savior. They were the Son of God. And that's what Jesus was. And so when he died, what was left for them? So you can imagine why they felt completely defeated. You can imagine why they were so confused. And so... When the disciples watched him, they're like, okay, I guess this is it. It's over for us. And as, even as he's being led to his death, 
they're seeing all this happen. They're seeing everything played out. They're like, there's no way that anything is going to change at this point. He's going to the cross. Um, They started scattering. And even like his closest friends even denied that they even knew him several times before he died. And so the very people in this story that bring us the story of Jesus, they're the ones who wrote portions of the New Testament. It's kind of surprising because what they end up doing is presenting themselves as spineless cowards, which is really interesting because whenever you look at historical documents, especially when kings write them about themselves, you, they're always, like, so nice, right? They're like, oh, this king was so awesome. He did all these wonderful things. He had all these palaces and jewels. He won all of these. But what you don't ever hear about in those stories are the people on the other end of those kings. You don't hear the side of the oppressed very often. You don't hear uh, the side of the people who didn't win. You hear the side of the one who did win. And so there's a little bit of a revisionist history in some of our stories because we really only know what was actually recorded by these kings who love themselves so much. And so I always say never trust a, a history that is all roses and no thorns. It's not an actual real rose then because everyone has thorns. Everyone has thorns. Every story has thorns. But when the Gospels were written, the disciples made sure to pass along that they always failed, which is kind of weird when you think about that because no other stories are like that. People are not going around being like, and we lost this battle, and then we failed, and then our, the person that we were serving, I did everything wrong, I totally betrayed him, Nobody's writing those things. They're, like, too embarrassed. But these guys, they were, like, all thorns, right? They're writing every single thing that they did wrong. And that's how we know that their stories are actually real. Is because they're not trying to pump themselves up. They're not going around being like, yep, everything I did was perfect, and I'm Jesus' favorite, and I believe the whole time. No, they're like, we were awful. <laughs> we were the worst friends that ever were. We didn't believe anything he said, and when he actually died, we totally forgot all the things that he told us about, and we just, like, like disappeared, and so that's how we know that they actually were telling the truth. So if you kind of struggle with these things, if you struggle like the disciples did with doubt, if you struggle with unbelief in him, If you struggle with being disloyal to Jesus or living in despair sometimes about your life and thinking that nothing is ever going to get better, well, you're in really good company because that's how his disciples lived too. And the story wasn't over for them. So if you're struggling with those things, guess what? It's okay. All of us have been there. Even the people who are now known as as heroes of faith were kind of the worst friends (laughs) at that time. And so you're in good company. But John 20, 1 through 2 says, shows another example of how they were flaunting their thorns. And this is what they said. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And here, so she, you can hear that she's not assuming that he resurrected. We don't know where he went. Where did they take him? 
he told her, literally, he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. And she's like, I don't know what could have happened to his body. Really? Really, Mary? Okay. Uh, so in the first century, obviously, this actually would have been, to have this in scripture actually would have kind of also been another, like, thorn in their story because people did not believe the testimony of women. They just didn't. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They weren't allowed to own property. They weren't allowed to do anything. So if you had a woman's testimony, people didn't believe it. And a lot of times the disciples themselves didn't believe it. And so actually you can see uh, after this um, that they actually kind of go on and don't believe her. So I'm going to kind of read to you the next part. But um, So she obviously, she sees this happen, and she's doing what women do best. They go and they spread news, right? We're really good at that. We're really, really good at that. And so... She goes, and the first thing she does is she tells the guys. She's like, guess what? Um, and again, not telling them that he resurrected, but uh, telling them that he's gone. So uh, in Luke 24, 11, it says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. And so the men at this moment, it wasn't just Mary who forgot about it. They forgot too. He had been telling them all along. He was a savior. He was going to die. He was going to raise this temple up on the third day. And they didn't even think about it. It was totally gone. And so they didn't praise God. They didn't say, yay, there's been a resurrection. They literally were like, whatever, these women don't know what they're talking about. Right? And I, and I could also be misinterpreting this, but um, I kind of think that after this happened, so th after this they like rushed over to the tomb to just see for themselves what happened. Right? And I kind of think that, you know, how many of you guys are like, Google warriors. Like when someone is like, tells you something and you're like, that, that can't be true, no. And so the first thing you do is you get on your phone and you're like, I'm gonna try to prove them wrong. And you get on there, and me and Taka do this all the time. We like have like arguments about like, you know, who, who played this part in some movie? And I'm like, it was, it was like John Wick or whatever. And, and he's like, no, no, that's not who it was. So we're both like on our phones and we're like trying to prove each other wrong. Like who's right, who's right? So I kind of like think this is what's happening. And I can't prove that. But this is the vibe I'm catching, is that they are running over there to be like, yeah, right. I don't think that really happened. And so they run over, and it says, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, and the other disciple outran Peter. Just saying, I kind of think they were competing. But then he said, and then, they and then he reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. And he saw, and then he believed. And I love that, because at the very end it says, when he saw, he believed. The resurrection became real to them. Jesus' words finally became real to them when they saw the resurrection. They saw that Jesus was telling the truth. And it was the followers uh, that night, they shifted from being cowards who had abandoned him, who had denied that he even knew them, to all of a sudden being really courageous. And so it wasn't because of something that Jesus taught, because they'd been there, they heard all of that, they knew all that. It wasn't new information. It wasn't because of any of the miracles 
that he did because they saw those two. He, they saw him do so many miracles. He fed 5,000. He healed people. He did. He resurrected people. He did so many crazy things. And they, that still was not enough for them to believe, right? And it wasn't because someone explained away their doubts because they asked him many questions. And I think they were probably left with more in the end. Uh, you know, but they actually finally re-engaged when they actually saw Jesus' resurrected body. These cowards suddenly spilled out into the streets and now were being so courageous and preaching this really bold gospel and good news. Because now we call it good news, but back then it was actually news. Like, it was real news. Like, <laughs> and that kind of stuck with them because at that time, Nobody knew that Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they're going out here, and they're telling people this really uncomfortable information. And they're like, yeah, you, you remember that guy that you guys killed a few days ago? Which is like, you know, like that like feeling of like, excuse me. Yeah, you remember that guy that you killed? Guess what? He resurrected, and he's alive. So now you need to go say you're sorry. And people are like, you know, like they're bold all of a sudden. And when two days ago they're like, I don't even know that guy. I don't know him. And they're, like, trying to hide and, like, run away. You know, people are selling him out. They're, they're, like, not even, they're nowhere to be found. But all of a sudden, they're bold. They're courageous. And that's, guys, that's what happens when we're witness to the resurrection of Jesus. When we put our whole self and our whole faith in the res resurrection of Jesus. Not in scriptures and sayings, not in miracles and anything else. Those things are awesome and they're really cool. But that's not what our faith is based on. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. And so Peter, Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses of this act. And then he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so worshiping you guys can come forward. Um, but I just believe that they were so, so courageous. Um, and this moment, I think it's so ironic that the moment that they're, they're actually um, most courageous is the moment that they finally face into their shame. And I think that's what sometimes we have to do. We, I think it's really hard to face into the moments where we feel ashamed of things we've done, the way that we've let people down, the way we've let God down. But this is the moment when Jesus is like, this is the moment that I choose to step into your life. The moment where things are the lowest, the moment when you are betraying me the most, the moment when you are messing up the most, that's the moment that I'm going to step in and show you just how much I love you and show you that you can't do anything to mess up the power of my, rise, of my resurrection because I'm here for you in that lowest moment and the moments when you are the worst of the worst. And that's what the, that is really what the resurrection is about. It's one that, that God would do anything, anything in this world to have a relationship with you, including giving up his own son. And two, that he wants to see you free from all that junk and the things that weigh you down so you can live the life that you were born to live, the one that he's calling you to. And so Jesus was so radical because he had the gall to die for and forgive the worst of the worst. Not the best of the best, 
the worst of the worst. And that's, and for you and I, in our worst possible moment. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really, really hard for me to do. To give my life for the worst of the worst in humanity. For people when they've been nothing but unkind, or when they've betrayed me, or when they've said bad things about me. The last thing that I want to do is give my life for them. But that's what he did. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He's full of grace. He's full of love. He is never ending in mercy. And he steps in right at the moment that we need him the most. And he says, I'm here for you. I want to save you. And I want to give you a new life. I want to tell you who you are. If you'll follow me. If you'll believe in me. And if you'll follow me. And so I just want to take a moment um, just to acknowledge that there may be people in this room today who have never, ever said, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to follow you. And I want to lay everything down at your feet. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that you were raised to life.